This episode of the Adventure Jogger podcast brought to you by Kim Ross, Lenny's mom. Hi, Lenny's mom. Mark, K- uh, sorry, Mary Cates, Mark Sibbert, the Ultra Running Company, and all of our Patreon supporters. And of course, you, the listener. The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. Kim, how is it that only now we're talking? Like, I I, I look at all that you do and all that you've done, and I'm like, why has it taken 180 episodes to get Kim on the Adventure Jogger? It seems like this should have been much sooner than it actually happened. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take the blame for this. I'm going to put the blame on my shoulders, Kim. I should have had you on my radar much sooner than than I actually have. And I don't know what happened, but I'm glad that now I can finally sit down with you over a computer and, and and we can talk. It's it's so great to finally be able to chat with you. I am cringing and probably blushing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very kind. I appreciate you saying all that, but uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, I was surprised when you reached out for, for real. I mean, your podcast is huge. So this was pretty wild to be on here chatting with you. Well, thank you very much. Um, just know that you're not the only person that cringes uh, when I say things. There's whole reviews on iTunes that say the very same thing. Um, I want to talk about first, Sasquatch trail running. Okay. Um, you've built something pretty darn amazing. Let's talk about right off the bat, what was the goal? Like what, what inspired you to create Sasquad trail runners. Wow. Well, thanks for saying that. Um, I think it's just the love of the trail community was something that um, just wanted to be more deeply invested in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got plugged into my local trail community. I, I was living out of state and then moved back in 2016 and spent a couple of years getting to know local folks. And, um, you know, like most other trail communities, it's just solid gold. You know, there's authentic people and the community is great. And it's just a desire to be more plugged in and provide more opportunities for for events in New Jersey. And now we're up into New York. But I think it's just the love of the trails and love of the people that are here. Did you see something that maybe was lacking in other communities that you were like, you know what, I, I can create something that is filling a need that may be lacking somewhere? Um, I don't know if it was necessarily that, like having a list of, of, of those types of things, but, um, maybe just wanting people who are maybe newer to the trails, newbies, um, to feel like they have a safe space to come out and get involved and try trail running or hiking for the first time. Um, so, you know, if you've been on our website, you can see it's kind of goofy and, whimsical you know there's unicorns and dinosaurs and stuff so um you know our mission is to welcome all people's paces and ages and it's been very very cool to see that grow over the last you know six years where 
we'll have people in their 80s come out and, you know, come out and hike. And then we'll have families with little kids, um, roadrunners who are dipping their toes into the trails for the first time. So it's a cool space, I think, where all different types of people can come out. You know, it's interesting you talking about what your goals were and, and, and the community that you've created and just the atmosphere at your events. And it sounds like, again, this is how the hell have I not have you had you on sooner, Kim? This is, just makes no sense um, that, that your attitude about running is very similar to to mine and in, in the adventure joggers where it's running is a place for everybody. Um, it's a fun place. We don't need to take it so seriously. Like you can have fun. Fun is a big part of running. It should be fun. And I think for, you know, I don't know what the percentage is. I would say 99%. That's probably an exaggeration. Yeah. But, you know, we're doing this for fun. People, it's a hobby. It's a stress. A lot of people, it's a stress reliever for mental health. You know, we'll, we'll have some competitive runners come out, but this isn't the space where, you know, there's prize money and a big, a big you know hoopla with podium um you know our our awards at the end of the race are so low-key like we just say oh you you won you know we give you an award and it's cool you know we want to celebrate everybody i think and it's cool to see at our events where you'll find it at other races too where people stick around yeah to see to, to just hang out and cheer in the last runners to come in so um, yeah, I'm with you. It, it should be fun. It should be a space where, you know, you're, you're with friends, you're building relationships, you're pushing your own limits. Um, sometimes I think we take things too seriously. So you know. I agree. I, I absolutely agree. Sometimes I think, you know, just stopping and taking a minute and just realizing that this is an activity that we all share together. Some of us are faster than others. Some of us are younger than others. Some of us are wiser than others. Some of us, you know, uh, come from many different backgrounds. And, and, and so many of us find um, different avenues to the sport. And, and even too, Kim, motivations change over time. You know, I mean, it's it just to have a place where people can run and do races and just kind of make it a party. Because that's kind of the thing. You're not a race director. You're like a party coordinator. Yes. Well, that's what we call our events trail parties. So that's, that's the tagline. You can see the sign behind me. It says every run is a trail party. Yeah. Um, so I think that too helps communicate what we're trying to do is, you know, sure it's a race, you know, people can come and be competitive, but it's a place where you can have fun. And, you know, we call it trail party. We encourage the, the, uh, the party pace as yeah. people say. So it's one thing too with the with the finish line and thinking about the experience of the finish line where everybody's going to tackle that same distance, those same hills, uh, maybe different low points or whatever. But those those events where the finish line is not just a you roll in, you get your whatever, and you roll out, where yeah. people stick around and you see, you know, first place runners cheering on dfls yeah it, it it's it's a beautiful it's a magical thing that kind of just eliminates the barrier between elites and everyday runners you know yeah. like like there's there's very few sports that have situations like that. you think about the boston marathon you know if you and i kim were to go run the boston marathon 
we are never going to see the elites. Never. Yes. <laughs> you know, we're going to we are going to be we're going to start an hour and a half behind them. And we will we yeah. want you know by, by then, you know there'll be tons of cups on the on the ground and everything, but trail and ultra running, it's the same start line, it's the same finish line. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that a lot. We have a few events that are uh loop time races and um those are always a lot of fun you know usually the course is small like a 5k um but you see you see runners like getting to know each other and like share some miles throughout the day um which i I love hearing those stories at the finish line where people say oh like i I shared a mile with like you know the fastest guy who won the race type of a thing right Um, so that's that's always a lot of fun Let's talk. Oh, there's a cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, she was bound to make an appearance. She likes the Zoom crash. Very nice. So. Very nice. What's your cat's name? Her name is uh, Delilah, and she's the most dramatic cat on this earth. Okay. So, Delilah, you're our very first uh, cat on the Adventure Jogger. So, you know, we're glad <laughs> to have you on here, Delilah. Um, what was your first event? Do you remember? That you for, put on as a race as a, as a direct a director, yeah, for Sas Squad. Yeah, yeah. Our first race was uh, 2018. So uh, the series it started out with a fat ass event. So yeah. we had uh, it was a time race. We still have it every year in January. Uh, so it's on a 5K loop, and we offer a 5K where people can just run one loop, yeah, or a three hour, six hour event uh, where they can try to do as many loops as they want. Uh, and that is, it's still a fundraiser. It started out as a hundred percent of the funds went towards the South mountain conservancy, which yeah. is the nonprofit that takes care of those trails. And we still raise funds for them. We, I think we've raised, uh, this last year we went over, it's now 13,000 for the conservancy, uh, with that event, which is very cool. So all of our, all of our races partner with a local, uh, nonprofit or charity, um, but that was that was the event that kicked things off for us in 2018. Was there less pressure for you as a party planner, as a party director, as a race director, having a fat ass be your first one? Because there's there's a, there's less details and th- there's less going into a fat ass than there would a standard race. I think a little bit only because you can use the disclaimer that, you know, there's you know, a fat ass is there's no swag, there's no aid, there's no whining. So when you put <laughs> when you put that out, it sets the bar a little bit on the lower side compared to a race event with a you know registration fee. But um, no, I, I didn't really feel pressure. I, I had a lot of help from friends, you know, and still do with friends who help volunteer. Yeah. Um, so it was it was awesome. We had like over a hundred people sign up for the event. And, um, the feedback afterwards, you know, people wanted to know when's the next race, Mm -hmm. you know, what is, what's going on here? We need more races in New Jersey. Um, so that was cool to get that feedback and it kind of, you know, it showed that there was, uh, a need and a want for, you know, us to expand and keep adding trail parties. And the best part is you don't have to field endless emails complaining about the shirt sizing (laughs) afterwards. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) I've, I'm always shocked when I talk to race directors and, and whether it's, you know, excuse me, got allergies, I'm going to cough. I'll turn my microphone off when I cough from time to time so no one has to listen to me hacking up. Um, I always like when I talk to them either recorded or, you know, just, just hanging out, 
The t-shirts are always the biggest thing. Like, ah, the damn t-shirts. No one's ever happy with the cut of the damn t-shirts. <laughs> it's true. Um, for that reason and others, we've never done race t-shirts. You know, I, I hear a lot of feedback from runners where like, we have a million race shirts. We don't need another one. Right. Um, and then just dealing with the inventory. I, I don't want to do that. It's probably... It sounds like a nightmare for other race directors. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it saves you a whole lot of trouble too. You don't have to worry about it. Exactly. Yeah, we'll do. We do swag, but um, I try to stay away from swag that involves sizing because it's just easier to give out. Like one size fits items. all swag. You can do trucker hats, and you don't have to worry about anybody. Exactly. Trucker hats don't fit anybody. Exactly. You know, like no, this trucker hat doesn't fit me. Well, the trucker hat doesn't fit anybody. It's not designed to fit you correctly. It's designed to look gigantic on your head. Yeah. What was the first race that you directed that was more um, an official race where, you know, you got registration online and a course and aid stations and all that? Yeah, the next race we did in 2018 was in April of that year. Uh, we actually don't put it on anymore just based on um, interest level and whatnot. Yeah. We moved on to other races, but uh, it was called The Last Squatch Standing. Ooh. And uh, it's it's a spin on a backyard ultra where time comes off of the clock. So, you know, you start with, I forget what it was, 22 minutes, and then it, you keep going less till there's one person left. You know, it's so funny that you bring that up and that there's no, there was no interest because my friend Benny Brown Towel, he had an idea to do a backyard ultra where you got an hour to do the 4.166, but a minute would disappear every single lap. Oh, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, that, that's got to be tough. We, you know, we, I shouldn't say we didn't have interest. We had interest in it, but there were challenges with, you know, we had it, the design was a one mile loop and it was single track. So, yeah by design you were really you couldn't pack more than 75 people it's not fun right when, you know you're congo lining and, and right. all that um but it was very fun to watch especially when you know i think the fastest time we had was a uh, guy was we got down to like it was either six minutes or six fifteen per mile. I mean, <laughs> bananas. Yeah, it was bananas. <laughs> and that's post marathon, so I, I'd have to look on Ultra Sign Up for the results. But I feel like it was twenty eight miles or something like that. It was it was lightning fast. That's amazing, and I kind of like that format too because unlike the traditional backyard ultra where you're there all day and you could be there the next day too, there really is a time limit on this. You're you're this is going to be something that you're home and in bed uh, yes. when it's all said and done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you pretty much knew it was going to be done by 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. What lessons did you learn putting on that first paid entry form type of race, taking that step up from the fat ass to the, I'm putting this on ultra sign up? <laughs> wow, these are good questions. I'll have to think back because this was about six years ago. Yeah. Um, it doesn't feel like six years ago. It does. It does not. It feels like, you know, a year ago or something like that. Um, a little, definitely more admin tasks were involved. Yeah. You know, you're using, there was a little learning curve with ultra sign up, just learning the back end of how to do that. Um, that being said, it, they are great to work with yeah. and it, it's a great platform. Um and the customer service is fantastic. So they were they were very, they were helping me a lot, like learning how to use the platform. Um, 
but yeah, I think, you know, you have, you have to order bibs and make sure there's enough swag for all the runners, you know, purchasing swag. I think we actually did trucker hats for that first, that first race. Very smart. No complaints. It's the no yep, complaint swag. Were, and they were really big. Like, I feel like they didn't fit anybody, which, which you said before. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I think just like the prep involved, um, I still do all the race medals and awards. So that was, you know, just taking time to do that. And, um, yeah, you know, you got to purchase aid station food. So that was all new and just learning, well, how much food do you actually need? How much water do you need? Stuff like that. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I'm always amazed at race directors that get it down and I know there's some trial and error involved. And I would think that as a race director, those first couple races, you err on the side of more than yeah. less because no one's going to give you a bad review to if there was just too many jugs of water out there <laughs> you know like no, like nobody's slamming you online going you know what there was just too many options at the aid station and too many jugs of water but you will hear about it if you run out of water exactly exactly yeah and even like the food items i feel like that you know that's taken a few years just to figure out well what are runners eating uh, you know, the variables of the weather that affects it, you know, looking at a weather forecast thinking, oh, is a runner going to want to eat hot potatoes or, or hot soup when it's 90 degrees out? Yeah. Probably not, you know, so just figuring out those things. Yeah, I can only imagine. And I know, too, I've I've volunteered for races where we it was a hotter than usual week or hot, the week. And so we were going through water way quicker. And mm. had we not had an aid station person hop in a truck and go to Dollar General, we would have ran out of water. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's another great point is I learned I have friends that live locally to that race and, you know, learning that, well, we might need to run to your house and fill up <laughs> right. water jugs, you know what I mean? Mid-race. So, yeah. Was there a moment you remember of a finish line or a story that really sunk home for you, this is why I'm doing this? Oh my goodness, these questions, Ryan, they're so good. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I get like <laughs> one or two. I don't know why I'm getting all the good ones with you, Kim, I don't know. Oh shoot, oh man, there's so many, there's so many. I'm sure every race director could say the same thing, but um, I mean, every race it happens where I'm standing at the finish line, that's my favorite part, is, yeah. is getting to chat with the runners. Um, and that's been, that has been challenging because we are growing so much. Um, but getting to stand at the finish line and you have runners come up to you and, uh, share their stories. And, um, I think, you know, there's runners who've expressed that getting plugged in with Sasquad has changed their, their life. Yeah. Um, that's going to get me emotional right there. Go ahead. <laughs> The downloads always increase when there's tears. Oh, man, Ryan. <laughs> that always gets me. Um, just hearing the power of community, I think, is is incredible. And just to see that, you know, we've played a small part in that where, you know, runners will share, you know, oh, I've met my best friend through yeah. Sasquad. And yeah. now we're, you know, doing X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, plenty of people have shared, I've run my farthest distance ever and I, and I thought it was impossible or I did my first ultra or you know I ran for the first time those are incredible stories people you know sharing um so I think those are the stories where you, you hear that mm -hmm. and 
it just solidifies like this is the coolest thing ever. Well, yeah, because it's something you created. Like, like you never know how when you create something, whether it's a race or whatever, the podcast even. When you when you create something and, and, and release it into the world, you're never sure how people are going to react to it. You, you never know. You have ideas. You can have ideas that Sasquad was going to be a community that would invite everybody and make everybody feel welcome and give people a space to challenge themselves in unique ways. You could hope that, but you, you, you can't you can't guarantee that. And so for people to say to you, this thing you've created, this idea that you had changed my life. I mean, that just has to be just the most incredible thing in the whole wide world right there. Yeah. <laughs> I know you get me emotional. Yeah, it is. It's really neat. And, um, you know, I, I think most race directors would say the same thing. It's not, it's not just me that's doing this. I mean, races do not happen without, uh, tons of people doing yeah. work behind the scenes. And I think that's, I think that's what's made Sasquad really cool and unique and has brought a lot of different people into it. I was, I had this conversation with, um, so there's a, there's a, I have a small group of friends who I call them the dream team extreme. Like they're, yeah. they're behind the scenes where the magic happens with coming up with like the most dumb ideas ever. Yeah. Um, you know, we're all ultra runners. And I said to them the other day, I was like, I think I figured it out on why, Sasquad is growing so much. It's because all of us are so weird and it like it just attracts other weirdos. Um, and I think, you know, most ultra, ultra running communities, there are like, you know, just all different types of people, a lot of weird people. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I just want to drive home that point that it, it really is a team effort. I know maybe that sounds cheesy, but no, I, I hear you. Yeah. There's people behind the scenes. And I think, you know, having other ultra runners involved with, you know, I'll ask, what do you think? And then we'll go back and forth in surrounding you on your team. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's so much more important than having people that think exactly the same as you. You know what I mean? Right. It's nice to have a group of people that you can listen to that, you know, they, they, they you don't owe them anything. Right. They're your they're your real serious friends. And mm -hmm. everybody needs people that they can just say something to and not get a yes back. Yeah. Get get feed constructive feedback and go like, you know what? I like where you're going, but what if we did this instead? Exactly. And having different point of views to bounce things off of, it, it, I think that, that creates a bigger recipe for success. It totally does. Yeah. And just and having the kind of the comfort level to be able to disagree with each other, I think is really important and you know certainly any team doesn't agree on everything um, no it, but have, but I know, think, different opinions yeah it's i mean in a lot of avenues we've lost the ability to disagree like all right. for what and I, I can't remember what what year it would be i think somebody's probably written a book about it but at some point we got to the time in society when disagreement is the worst thing possible you can only hang out with yeah. people that agree with you because you don't want to disagree with anybody. Right. And and I think one of the beauties of the ultra running community is that's not taken over the sport yet. There's mm -hmm. people from all walks of life that can disagree on a lot of things. But at the end of it, it's like, you know what? I don't agree with you on this, 
but I just ran like 30 miles with you. So I really don't care. I mean, there's more to yes. you than, than this thing. So we're just going to agree to disagree and move on. Yes, 100%. And I, I personally so appreciate that, you know, politics and stuff like that. I feel like you can have very, very different backgrounds, but it seems like you just said, you know, we can still all come together and share this common ground uh, without, I, I don't know, I've just been in a lot of spaces with the politics. If you kind of like you start to get into it and then you can see, oh, we're not going to agree on this. Right. And it's just like this unspoken thing of like, OK, well, let's just talk about running instead. Right, right. You know? Exactly. Changing the subject. How about those fart licks? When's the last time you've done one of those? <laughs> yeah. You know, exactly. Yeah. You switch it up a bit. Um, Kim, speaking of points of view, do you think being a female race director gives you an advantage or gives you a different perspective on what makes a race successful and what needs to be had at races? Wow, another good question. Um, <laughs> you're full of them. You're full of them tonight. <laughs> ah, you know, for, I, I've, I've done like like 600 episodes of podcasts. So, you know, I'm starting to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I would answer that by saying I know that it's an advantage that this, you know, four out of the five folks that help me behind the scenes are female. Yeah. And um, let's see, three out of them are moms. And uh, there is like a superpower with moms that they just have when it comes to details and multitasking and organization. And I think that is absolutely proved to be an advantage over the years is having – you know, we, we also attract a lot of females to come and volunteer as well, yeah. because a lot of them are friends or friends of friends and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I think it is it is helpful, not a knock against the guys, but uh, oftentimes details uh, are picked up by the ladies, which is which is a great thing. Um, and I think, too, you know, one of one of the big goals was to get more women to come out yeah. on the trail. And um, I mean, I would. I would just assume maybe that's a little bit easier having a female race director um, with just trying to get more ladies to come out. No, I, I, there's great race directors that do a great job of that, whether they're man or woman. Right. Um, you know, I think of Jason Green, <clears throat> totally. excuse me, who has an over 50% female sign up for his races. You know, he seems he seems to get it. And then totally. there's others that are clueless. We'll we'll keep them nameless. Um, but but no, you, that you, you, there's so many things you rewrite that you you don't think of as a guy. I couldn't race direct. I could be the face of a race, but my wife would have to do all the work because she's the organized one, and she thinks of a million different things that I wouldn't even think of. It's like every race <laughs> should just have a squad of moms. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of little things. Like I remember when I was first starting out with like aid station shopping with just getting advice on, oh, well, you know, you go to Costco and pick up bulk sizes of this, this and that, or, well, actually the prices at Aldi are a little bit better on this item, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. That's been helpful. You got coupons and buy one, get one freeze going on. You know, you're saving some money. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think also like just the and this, I don't know, it's not maybe not a gender thing, but the problem solving, I think, has been very, very helpful. You know, races, things come up and just being able to powwow real quick and figure out, OK, well, let's do this 
and handle it this way uh, in a calm manner has been really great yeah. over the years. What does the future hold for SAS Squad? What's the future hold? Well, I mean, one of the big goals that we had over the last couple of years was to extend up into New York. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to do that, that by adding uh, this year is now three races that are in New York State. Yeah. So we've got two at Harriman State Park. And then the third one is at Sterling Forest. Um, so I think that's, you know, it's just continue to grow the races, but for sure, um, I'm definitely committed to it not becoming like a mega thing where there's a thousand runners. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had a couple races this year where we've pushed 300 and that feels very big. It feels very big. Um, and I, I, and I feel like I'm, I'm losing the ability to interact with runners, which I don't really like. Um, but there, and you know, logistic wise, there's also challenges with parking and stuff like that. Um, I think keeping it around 10 or 11 on the calendar. So, um, I don't, it's not physically possible to add more races. Yeah. Um, but you know, th- there's other ideas like, you know, we've, we've talked about within our community doing like trail running weekends, retreat style type of things where you're going out, uh, probably we, we would keep it local in the tri-state area. Uh, where runners can come out and and do that. I think just, you know, expanding with continuing to do what we're doing with offering, you know, we do clinics where new runners can come out, uh, try trail running or hiking for the first time. Uh, And then this September, we're doing our first 100 miler. So that's been on the dream board for years, a number of years. And it's finally, it's getting off the ground in September. So that's really exciting. What's the name of the 100 miler? So the weekend is called the Squatchyanda Trail Festival. Yeah. Where we have a number of events running. And then the 100 miler is called the Wild Goose 100. Oh, I like that. Very nice. And I would think, too, that <clears throat> a 100 mile race presents a whole lot. That's scaling what you're doing on a much bigger platform. Because you do a 50K, you need, what, five aid stations. Right. You're doing a 100 miler, especially if it's, is it point to point or is it loops or what is it? Yeah, we've got, uh, the course consists of about 18 miles of trails, but it's three loops that are coming back to one central aid station. Um, so, you know, we've got a generous cutoff that's 36 hours for the hundred miler, um, moderate elevation around 11,000 feet of climbing. And then I think just having that central location where you're never running more than seven miles uh, out on the course, it just makes it so much more accessible for new runners to come or people to come who, who maybe they're having a hard time getting a crew. You really, I mean, it's awesome to have a crew, but a race like that, you don't necessarily need one just right. because you're coming back to the aid station so often. Yeah. And then for you, that makes it so much easier instead of having to come up with you know, 17, 18 aid stations manned by volunteers. You have one massive aid station where everybody's coming and going all the time. Um, I think the only challenge will be once people get tired of which loop do they do? Like people are going to, by the time it gets late at night, they're going to be like, what did I just do that one or, or, or whatever. But you know, it's something that you'll, I'm sure this, this, the the squad of moms and Kim are going to figure this out before, (laughs) before race day. Don't you, don't you worry about that. Um, that's that's, right. that's exciting. It's really exciting. It's so funny that you're talking about Jersey and I've, I've talked to other people that run in Jersey and in New York. And I think people that have never been there, when they think New Jersey, they think Newark. Oh, yeah. And it's like, please don't think of Newark as <laughs> as New Jersey. Like, that's not the whole state of Jersey. 
is not Newark. Like Newark is the worst part. Like it's not the best representation of New Jersey. Yeah. I mean, that's really, it's the armpit of America around that area. So, <laughs> but there are a lot of really beautiful places in New Jersey, especially Northern Jersey, uh, mm-hmm. where the hundred miler is. It's, it's gorgeous. It's uh, way, way on to state park. It's really, really beautiful. Now I only have to ask this question because, you know, I got to throw a joke in every once in a while. When you have these races in New York, Kim, and you have to stop and get gas, are you going to be okay? Because as a Jersey person, you don't know how to pump gas because you're not allowed to. No, I know. It's hard, Ryan. Really, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> I was floored the first time I heard that. So I was like, you can't pump your own gas in Jersey. I'm like, what? Yeah, you can't. Yeah. There's the tendons that that pump your gas. And everybody that, that, like goes through that. Like I, I took a, a you know, road trip through Jersey and I remember getting out of my car and it was like, no, no, no. Like what? <laughs> I know. I think it's actually illegal to pump your own gas in Jersey. Yeah, there's many people that are in the the, the Jersey pen, uh, you know, penal system that have been charged with pumping their own gas. <laughs> there's whole prisons just of gas pumpers uh, yeah. in there. So we got that joke out of the way. Um, I appreciate you asking. Yeah, you yeah. know, make you laugh every once in a while. Uh, where does the name come from, Kim? Where'd you get the name Sasquad? Sasquad. I know. I love. I love telling this story, and it usually comes up is. Uh, my sister claims that she thought of the name Sasquad. Okay. I believe that I was the one who thought of the name. We'll Typical never sibling know. taking the credits. That's just, I know. Yep. <laughs> we'll never really know. But, um, you know, the idea behind it is it combines Sasquatch and Squad. So, mm-hmm. you know, Sasquatch, it's obviously our brand is, you know, the Bigfoot logo. Yeah. Everybody knows sasquatch it's a yeah. universal symbol it's it's whimsical it's weird it's fun um and then squad you know it just communicates we want it to be about community so you put the two together you get sasquad it's a good name i mean whether you came up with it or your sister it's a good name yeah i'm gonna give you credit for it kim we're just gonna go ahead and Thank say you. kim came up with the name I, kim's kim's sister i don't know you but i'm just gonna <laughs> go ahead right. and give kim all the credit for that um taking a step back for a minute and getting into your story of running, doing some research on you, Kim, you were, you're, you've been an athlete for a very long time. You are a very rare bird in the, in the fact that you were a two-sport college athlete. When is the last time that has happened? You were a basketball player and a softball player in college. This is true. Yes. <laughs> which, which one were you better at? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, the, the two are both so different. Um, I don't, I don't know. You have to call up my coaches and see what they would have to say about that. But how in the heck did you get recruited to go to college to play both basketball and softball? Well, uh, I mean, it's a Division three school, so don't discount. Guess how many college sports I've played, Kim? Zero. <laughs> So let's just not, you don't have to throw out, oh, it was Division Three. No it was one, Division Three. Okay. They players. I signed up. That was it. Okay. So which, okay, which team do they need players for? Did you go there for a basketball scholarship and they're like, we need a softball team? Or were you come for softball and they're like, hey, you seem like you're tall. You're on the basketball team too. Yeah. So I, I, I was recruited to play for basketball. And then when I got on campus, a few softball players found out that I played softball and they, they came and knocked on my dorm room door actually. And they're like, 
we heard you're from Jersey and you played softball. You should come and try out for the team. And I, I didn't, I was like, can you play two sports? I don't know how that works. And, uh, ended up, it worked out great. So I was able to do, do both for four years. I think that would be, that would make you be a great manager of time because, yeah. you know, college sports as, as the dad of a young man was running college cross country, that the practices and the workouts and the travel and all that, that really is a commitment. And for you not even have an off season, really, you must have really learned how to manage your time in college. Yeah, I think that was one of the biggest takeaways from college athletics was that time management piece because you really didn't have a lot of free time throughout the day. And and like you just said, it was pretty much year round because when we got on campus in the fall, you know, we were doing basketball, fall workouts, and then the season would start in October. Yeah. Uh, and then the two overlapped. So I was joining the softball team usually you know, a few weeks into them already being together. And then softball would go, you know, pretty much to the end of the year in April. Yeah. So you were a very busy person. When does running come into the equation? Was it something that you did as, you know, uh, keeping yourself in shape for the two sports you were in? Or when did this, when did running become a passion for you? Yeah, I was never, I was always like anti-runner you know because running was always the punishment of yes Uh uh-huh you knew that if you were running kim your coach was mad at you yeah you were in trouble if you were running so um yeah i i really didn't get into running until when i was in grad school and after you know college athletics ended all of a sudden you know this structure that i had my whole life was no longer there where there were games and practices Um, I was a graduate assistant, so I was coaching softball at a D2 school and that's when I got into running because I was like, man, I don't, I don't have anything to do in terms of like working out and stuff like that. Um, so that was 2013 or so is when I started running and, uh, it was, you know, couch to half marathon type of a thing where I, I did a road half marathon Uh, And then eventually just kept going longer and longer and longer, got into trail running. You must have figured if I'm going to have to make these kids run laps, I should at least know what that feels like. Like I should be (laughs) able to keep up with them on these laps. Exactly. A hundred percent. That was always one of my coaching philosophies is I should never, uh, never ask a player to do something I can't do myself. So... When does, because I mean, uh, your story is, is parallel to a lot where they get into road running, but then at some point... Um, you know, they, they get it, they get mixed up with a bad crowd that leads them yes. to the world of ultra running. What was your bad crowd? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um, so I did the half marathon, then I did a road marathon and a colleague of mine at the college, she was, uh, I think she was, yeah, she was an athletic trainer. She was into ultra running. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she said, well, Kim, a 50K is only a little longer than a marathon. You should just do a 50K. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I have that kind of all-in personality that a lot of ultra runners have. And I said, oh, that makes sense. And uh, so the 50K I did was trail. And that was, uh, I mean, amazing experience. I was totally hooked. I had no idea the whole trail running world existed. And, you know, people just go out and run in the woods. 
Um, but once I experienced it, I really, I, I didn't go back to road after that. Do you remember what it was? What was it about that first 50K that made you say, okay, guess what? I'm not buying road shoes anymore. All my <laughs> shoes are going to have lugs on the bottom from now on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it was definitely the people was probably what stood out the most because the experiences I had had at these road races where you were just kind of lost in the crowd, you know, they were bigger events. So there were thousands and thousands of people and kind of just went by myself and you don't really talk to many people. And then when I showed up at this trail race, it was almost out the gate where you start running with somebody else and people were really friendly. And initially there was kind of that like Jersey of like, why are we talking to each other? What What's going on here? <laughs> right. <laughs> we don't pump our own gas. We don't talk to each other. This is New Jersey. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, that race, I ended up running the last 10 miles with a woman. And uh, she, she was training for a 100 miler at the time. And she was just telling me all about 100. And I was like, people run 100 miles. I can't even believe yeah. this. And um, I was just totally you know, I think just attracted to the whole community feel of this race. It was, it was a very low key local trail event. And uh, that was very different from what I ex experienced before then just the whole experience of being in the woods, you know, being out on trail was uh, it was so much more enjoyable than being on pavement. Right. Look at someone's backyard because you're going through a yeah. neighborhood or something. Um, right. One thing I, th I, I just popped in my head and, and you're the perfect person to ask this. Of. Do you think, like you talked about it earlier in the interview about how you're having races now with 300 people signing up and that almost feels like too much for you. You can't mm -hmm. engage with the community. You can't have that one-on-one -on -one time, even if it's just for a minute with your finishers because it's just getting to be too big. Do you think the benefit, <clears throat> excuse me again, of ultra running is that the events compared to, let's just say the Boston Marathon, there's a fraction, even the most popular let's just let you know the heiner uh, trail view challenge yeah. heiner has 1500 people that run it you know right. but that's still a fraction of yeah. the people that run the boston marathon do you think just out of the necessity of these races having to be small it fosters that community i do yeah i, th I think so i mean it's just I, I can think back to that first half marathon i did it was the flying pig in cincinnati yeah and I don't know how many people there were, but I mean, thousands of runners and it was very easy to kind of get lost in the shuffle. And I mean, I, I feel like as, you know, I, I can notice as a race director, you're scanning the crowd. If there's like a lone wolf standing off to the side, right? you know, I, I march over there and start chatting with them. And I think that that is harder to do at events where there's, you know, a thousand people, stuff like that. You have to wonder if, if all of a sudden, you know, the Western States 100 said, hey, we're going to widen these trails and you can have 20,000 people run this race. You wonder, would the community still be the same at that mm. race if it was just as big as a big city marathon or if it's just because the community as a whole is a bunch of misfits that have found each other? Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think that's a great point. Yeah. And, and I think, too, a lot of trail races are mindful of the impact that the event has on the trails right. because if you think of the impact of 300 runners compared to 1500 runners 
Um, and Heiner is, is a much longer course, so it's, right. it's more spread out. Um, but, you know, say you're using a 5K loop and you have 1,500 runners on it and then, you know, maybe bad luck, it's raining that day. Um, it's a lot different impact than if you're on the pavement. You right. know, you're not going to tear up the pavement. So maybe that's a factor as well. So you were running your last 10 miles at 50K with a woman that inspired you to run 100 mile. Um, how long after that encounter, after those miles, did you, you get to the start line of your first 100? Yeah, so that was uh, 2014, mm-hmm. I guess it was, was was the ultra. I did my first 100 in 2020. It was during the pandemic. Um, but it was very shortly after that, I went to 50 miler. I think it was only a few months after that 50K that I went longer. Uh, but yeah, my first 100 was in 2020. Yeah, how'd that go for you? Uh, you know, it was like a lot of other people where it was a pandemic uh, kind of DIY yeah. uh, 2020 type of thing. So it was it was really cool, actually. You know, I, I did it at my local trails and there were no rules because it was just, a, you know, <laughs> a handmade hundred. So I had tons of friends who came out. Um, pacers, you know, my friends were running with me the whole time. Yeah. Um, there was no course. Like we just ran, I just ran wherever... Um, then there were a few other friends who also ran a hundred miles and we, we were just like running all over the trails, you know, until we got to a hundred. And then I think we had like a toilet paper roll finish line a <laughs> hundred miles. So it was definitely not a traditional hundred. That's for sure. How, how was that though? I mean, that had to have been so different than most people's first 100 experience because there's not peppy aid stations every five to six miles you know there's not i mean you're it's not a marked course you're you're just looking at this watch dinging off miles and it's just you and the watch just dinging off miles you really like for so many people kim it's a mental thing where they go okay i'm just going to go to the next aid station that's it and that's what they focus on right here you are going oh that's two that's three. Like that had to have been just a massive mental undertaking to do a homemade 100. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I didn't have anything to compare it to. It's not like I had had the hundred mile experience with those aid stations. Um, But, you know, I had one of my friends who also ran it. He's done a ton of hundreds. He's done 200 mile races. And he said, this was exponentially more challenging to do like kind of willy nilly where yeah. there was no race course do the trails well, but after I do this, tra- <laughs> this trail again, um, but there were some advantages, you know, I remember I was, I had a little bit of nausea for a couple hours where I was just not feeling too great. It was the overnight portion. And I, I like literally walked around the parking lot for an hour and I was like, these miles still count. You know? <laughs> Whereas like, at a regular race, you can't just walk around an aid station to have the miles count. Right. You, well, you can, but there, there, you got to <laughs> so, turn off your Garmin at that point because it's not going to yeah. count. <laughs> but that had to have been empowering for you because it was 100 minus the safety net of an organized 100. Of, But, I mean, you could really could have quit at any time and no one would have known. But I would think that at the end of that, you had to feel 
pretty empowered to be able to do incredible things knowing that you could just go to a park and knock out 100 miles. I guess so. Yeah, I think it it was a neat thing to be able to do that. And like I said, there were I had some other friends who also did it. And it was a very cool kind of sense of accomplishment we all had. Um, But I remember just honestly, like it was awesome to finish the 100. But one of the biggest takeaways was just how awesome it was to have friends there to support and to crew and to pace. And I think that was one of the most like transformative experiences that I've had many more since then. But that was one of the first ones where I really saw like how powerful friendship can be. But like, you know, so I was the one running, but to have friends out there who were with me overnight and, you know, like cooking up food and stuff like that. Uh, it was a really, really cool thing. And I remember just being so emotional at the finish line because, and again, this was like 2020 where, you know, there was a social distancing and all that and just had a whole bunch of friends come out when I finished and when other friends finished. And and just that real sense of community was a really, really cool experience. So at some point then you do a organized 100, right? Do you? Do you step or you haven't done all organized 100 yet? No, no, I haven't. The only organized uh, ultra ultra has been Tahoe 200, which I just did in June. So when I was signed up to do Tahoe in 2021 yeah. and that that was deferred um, because naturally once you do one 100, then you just go to two. Oh, right. Because right? Yeah. Well, why do you need to do that again? Right. Logically. Right. That's what you, <laughs> that's what you right. do. Right. Um, so that was supposed to be in September of 2021, uh, but wildfires deferred it or postponed it to June of 22. So that September, instead of Tahoe, I did another um, self-supported hundred, and uh, this time it was much more mountainous. It was in is in the Hudson Highlands of New York, uh, but same idea where it, it was a self-supported thing. It was a hundred mile loop through the mountains in the Hudson Highlands. How did you self-support a hundred mile loop? Did you drop off water every so so far or did you have a pack full of food? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Self-support, meaning I had friends come out Got, who okay. were also helping, but s- supported in the sense where, you know, I'm carrying a bigger pack with more stuff in the food. But I was probably going like 20 to 30 miles or so in between seeing friends. Yeah. But yeah, that was... That was wearing new places and uh, I'm definitely like a type A planner and I love all that stuff like, you know, designing the maps and figuring out logistics of, you know, where can I meet so and so, what supplies do they need to have, what do we need to switch out. Uh, So that was a really, really cool uh, and difficult experience. It plays well into the skills needed to be a race director when you think about it. Yeah, it really was like, you know, I was race directing this event for myself, I guess. Right. So. Yeah. You were the RD of a one person race. Yeah. <laughs> that you were running. You were, you were an RD running your own race. Yeah, it was it was cool. Again, I had a lot of friends who came out and um, I did the first like 20 miles or so by myself. And then the rest of the time, friends were swapping in and out to help pace and crew. You had to have felt after two homemade 100s that you were ready for the Tahoe 200. If you can run a hundred miles with just friends meeting you every 30 miles to give you some new, you know, uh, cliff bars or whatever, you had to feel pretty confident going into Tahoe. 
I was excited to have real aid stations. That's for sure. You've never seen those before. You're like, well, what is this? Wait, is this, yeah. is this all this food for me? Yeah. Yeah. That was a nice thing. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I think it's hard for anybody who's never done a specific distance to have that kind of level of confidence where, you know, I had never done a 200 miles. So um, there's a lot of unknown going into an event like that where you, you've just never gone that far. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was cool. It was a really neat experience to do Tahoe. Yeah. And I'm sure too, I mean, this is the first distance over 50 miles. That's an actual paid for race with a buckle at the end. I know it's my only buckle, my only real buckle, I guess. (laughs) You're like, listen, (laughs) I've done more hundreds, but they didn't count buckle wise because I was the only participant and I was the race director. That's right. And it's all about the swag, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, well, you've got a, you've, you've got that new hundred coming up. You've had to design a buckle, haven't you? Yes. Yes, it's true. How is that process? It is so fun because we're just trying to make the buckle as ridiculous as possible. Yeah. Um, so, so the design is it's a big rainbow. And then there's a goose with Sasquatch riding the goose. Because why uh, not? Yeah, and it says Wild Goose 100, so. How do you do, like, like is there a company that, that you can, like a buckle company that you call and you can kind of give them your design ideas and then they send something back to you? Or, like, how does the design process go from start to finish for a, for a buckle for a 100-miler? Yeah, I think, you know, there's definitely companies that do that, vendors that'll do design. Um, that's a part of my business though, is the, the squat shop. So I do the woodworking, uh, in-house. So I'll design, you know, everything on the back end, and then actually make the buckle and do the hardware and stuff like that. So you're, you're making your own buckles. Yeah. How, like, are you, so you're, are you going to make your buckles out of wood then? Is that what they're going to be? I was thinking about wood, but I'm going to end up going with the traditional metal buckle. Okay. And I'm use, but I'm using wood as the inlay on top of the buckle, and then uh, using like a, a clear epoxy to to seal everything into the buckle. Wow! You could have just had someone do this for you, Kim. I don't know why you're adding so much <laughs> difficulty to your life. I guess it's true. <laughs> no, but I guess you know, and you think about. And, and please do not take this as a slam anyone on race directors that farm out their buckles. I get it. You know, yeah, it, makes, yeah. it makes sense. You know, if you get a great idea, someone else can do it. But I would think, too, you painstakingly putting together a buckle, you're, you're just you're designing it, you're crafting it by hand. And that really it's a part of you and giving that to someone at the finish has to just be extra special. I, I'm sure race directors giving buckles at finishes is the greatest moment of their life. But for you to have something that you put sweat equity into and touched from step one to completion, you made this piece of art to say congratulations to mark someone's occasion. That's got to feel pretty cool. Looking forward to that. So now 100 is being able to be at the finish line. And I know we've already, we already have folks signing up who it'll be their first 100. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that's going to be just magical, I think, is to be able to share that 
experience with these people coming out and you know 36 hours is a long time so especially those back of the packers that are just grinding it out for you know that long uh it's going to be really really cool to be at the finish line for that well we talked a bit about what what the future holds for sasquad trail runners what does the future hold for you like is there big goals that you have personally for for racing yeah so the big the big project right now that i'm working towards is in july um doing the new york long path which is uh it starts in albany and then it goes down to manhattan uh so right now there's no female that's recorded an fkt for that it's only guys that are up on the fkt board uh so i'm going to be attempting the supported fkt for that so that's the new york long path how far is the new york long path uh, it's 358 miles. Whew. Yeah. So, you know, like we said before, you do a hundred then 200, then, you know, a little bit longer, 358. Wow. <laughs> it ends in Manhattan. Yeah. It's pretty neat because it goes, um, the last 40 miles or so are in the Palisades and then, which are like the big cliffs, uh, along the Hudson river. And then it finishes by going, over the George Washington Bridge and finishes in Manhattan. Wow, that's going to be an amazing sight to see to go finish. You know, it's it's all, I mean, here you are in these remote trails and all of a sudden you are smack dab in the biggest, one of the biggest cities in the world. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be something. You know, the, the long path is, is really, it's a cool trail system because it's so diverse. Uh, yeah. You know, it starts... Up in Albany, makes its way south. It goes uh, 90 miles through the Catskills, which is, uh, I'm anticipating, going to be probably the most challenging yeah. part of, of the trip. Um, and then, you know, it goes through the Minnewaska State Park, which is the Gunks area of New York, which is spectacular. Uh, it goes through Harriman State Park. But there's also a road. Like, there's some pavement sprinkled in to connect the trail system. So it's going to be pretty pretty cool i think what has been the biggest challenge for you to put together this fkt attempt oh there's so there's so many logistics i think but i I love that stuff so uh it's just a lot of details i've got a spreadsheet going where uh just trying to break down possible every possible point where i could meet crew so that um i think the goal right now is to just do as much planning an organization as possible on the front end so that when we're out there on trail and trying to figure out what to do, there's just going to be this binder. And I know it's not flawless. I know it's not going to be perfect, but to have, you know, that's what I've learned from talking with other folks who have done this FKT specifically, but also other ones is just like as much as you can plan on the front end and have organized, the easier it's going to be for you and your crew. So that's my big goal right now is just to make it as easy as possible for crew because, you know, crew is just as sleep deprived as Mm -hmm. the runner. And, um, you know, I think if we can have as much information organized as possible beforehand, it's going to be a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Just think about it, Kim, Kim, just for a second, wrap your head around the fact that at one point you missed a layup and coach made you run laps around the gym <laughs> and that Kim that Kim was like oh, this is horrible I'm never gonna miss a layup again I don't want to have to run laps 
would someday be attempting a 358 mile trail running it all at once you've you've come quite a quite a ways from those days of missing layups and running laps <laughs> that is funny i wonder what my younger self would say to that <laughs> wouldn't believe it like no probably not <laughs> no huffing and puffing after lap number three like oh this is yeah. horrible <laughs> i know right like the time miles where it was just one mile and you're dying exactly so. right exactly when it's so funny that and how many of us listening to this podcast right now were people that the worst day at gym class was when the coach would come out in his tiny shorts with the two snaps and the elastic band and go, guess what? Oh, man. <laughs> We're running a mile today. And you're like, oh, and it was horrible. <laughs> and you ran the first lap as hard as you could because you had no idea about pacing. And then you walked the last three and you got 15 minutes and you didn't get the presidential medal of freedom, which you wanted to get, <laughs> you know? It's like how how many of us listening have gotten the presidential medal of freedom because you're able to do as much pull-ups as they as was needed and push-ups and all that stuff. <laughs> I would say the percentage is probably higher that didn't get the presidential uh, medal of, yeah. of, of of fitness. I know I'm I'm one of them. I was one of those that hated running and you know was not knocking out fast mile times. But yeah, it, it's funny how you end up how life changes and puts you into different situations. <laughs> Those are some good flashbacks right there to the presidential fitness test. <laughs> How many sit-ups do I have to do? That's ridiculous. Yeah, and like remember like the the straight leg arm reach? The, like, the reach, is, the sit and reach. What does that have to do with I that? have no idea. <laughs> I think it was Kennedy that came up with that. Um, oh, and I think man. he was like, I just want to mess with people. We're gonna put the right? we'll put the mile run in there. We're going to do push-ups, we're going to do pull-ups, and we're going to have people sit down and reach with no reason. Like, why are we just... What is that? Right, right. It doesn't make any sense, sir. It doesn't have to make any sense. It's my idea for the presidential medal, fitness medal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But everyone knows that one person that got it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That wasn't me. I can say that for sure. And they got the Xerox copied letter from the President of the United States. Oh, my God. Yeah. Everyone's like, like, wow, did you get an actual letter from the president? It's like interesting that your name is in different font than the rest of the letter. Like, I think this is a form. Oh, my God. Form letter that came in later on in life. Yeah. That's what you need to do for the next hundred mile finish. When you, you, know, you get into Wild Goose year two, everybody gets a, a Xerox copy of a letter from the president of the United States yes. congratulating you on completing this task. Yeah, I think that's pretty spectacular. <laughs> but when you're done, but when you finish the race, you don't get the you don't get the letter until you do the sit and reach. Oh my god, <laughs> sit and reach after 100 miles, that sounds fantastic. Oh, most painful thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> so usually I end it and I thought like that was a great ending, but there's important stuff here that we forgot to talk about. So we're, we're I I pressed record again. Kim the long trail, the long path that you're doing, that FKT for the long path, you're not just doing this because you need another challenge you don't have to pay someone an entry fee for. You are you are doing this for charity. Yeah, yeah. So I'm raising funds for two local nonprofits. The first one is the New York, New Jersey Trail Conference, and that's the uh, organization that maintains the entire long path, all 358 miles, but also 2000 miles of trails in New York or New Jersey. Mm -hmm. So 
chances are if you've been on trails in either of those states, the trail conference that's maintaining them. Mm. Uh, so I'm raising funds for them. And then the other organization, probably a lot of your listeners are familiar with, or have at least heard of them in the last couple of years is bigger than the trail. Yes. So the nonprofit that's, you know, we, we raise those funds and that's used to provide cost three cost free therapy for anybody who needs it. Uh, so I was able to get help last year with that. And, um, it's just re- become very important to me to raise awareness and raise funds for that organization bigger than the trail. Such a great organization. Cause how many people, you know, ultra running provides an escape from something, but at some point things catch up with you and to have a resource that can get you quality, low cost or free mental health care. I mean, that's, that's a slam dunk. No one's against that. I've yet to find a yeah. single person that's against bigger than the trail. Totally. And that that's exactly the boat that I was in was I was just using ultra running. That was therapy. And I think it was the first time I, I had these tools was getting plugged in with therapy because of bigger than the trail was they just they took out all the excuses. Like I had all these excuses on why, you know, I couldn't find somebody, the cost, blah, blah, blah. And then bigger than the trail, it was instant with just getting connected with a therapist. And you were able to because of bigger than the trail, you're able to overcome some personal issues. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's, it's all completely gone. I don't know if anybody struggles with mental health, just disappear right. overnight. Right. It's I not mean, something where it's like, okay, Hey, your therapist goes, Hey, we're done. You know, yeah, we're good. I cured you. Give me a good review on Yelp <laughs> and let's just yeah. carry on. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, depression is probably something that's going to come and go my whole life, but um bigger than the trail getting plugged in with therapy last year was it was really a game changer because it was like the first time that i learned about these tools on it's important to feel your feelings and instead of just running more and more um and getting into that loop uh you know you can use other tools to help work through those things uh, folks, if you want to make a donation to Bigger Than the Trail or the New York, New Jersey Trail Conference, there are links in the description of this podcast that you can click on and make those donations. So if, you, if, you're, if you've been moved and you want to give back, uh, give back. You can click those links in the description of the podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thank you, Kim.